Time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Freedom cannot be achieved unless we have emancipated all types of oppression. Nelson Mandela Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits for today's show. Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who's volunteered and supported Be, Be The Star You Are over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www. .btsya.com That's www.btsya.com Every dollar counts and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, I'm Hannah Sahota, hosting the show with my co-host Ruhani. Hello everyone, I'm Ruhani, and today's show is Freestyle. So Hannah and I will be talking about topics we both hold dear. And in segment one, Hannah will be talking about the dangerous ride of rise of femicides. In segment two, I'll be talking about how the merger of publishing houses Simon and & Schuster, and Penguin Random House can lead to unfortunate consequences. And in segment three, Hannah and I will be discussing the rise of dangerous podcasters such as Andrew Tate and how quote-unquote edgy culture contributed to it. Yes, and hello everyone. I'll state again, my name is Hannah Sahoda, and I'm one of the hosts with my segment, Empowerment Inequality. Um, today, we will be discussing a recent issue that has not been widely covered or known in recent media, despite the countless deaths and injuries that have occurred this year. Femicides. Femicide. A term first coined in the 1801 novel, A Satirical View of London. Femicide is a hate crime defined as the intentional killing or murder of women and girls simply because they are of the female gender. It is deeply rooted in culture worldwide, caused by factors such as gender equality, gender expectations, and systemic gender-based discrimination. The sexism and misogyny that are frequently aimed towards women results in violent attacks on the basis of hatred and the desire to further oppress the female gender. In America, almost three women are killed by femicide every day, specifically with intimate gender-specific killings. This is a stark contrast to men, who are killed by other men three-fourths of the time and strangers one-fourth of the time, whereas the leading cause of femicides for women comes often from men or their own partner, spouse, or male romantic partner. Many claim that today's society, especially in America, is the quote-unquote ideal society for women without considering the lingering danger of patriarchal societies everywhere. In America, it is like a silent epidemic that the media and public refuses to address. Recently, however, 
there has been a significant increase in femicides in Latin America, specifically Mexico. To provide some insight of how drastic and dangerous this is, I will provide some statistics. In Mexico, 1,004 women were killed in 2021, which is an approximately 134% increase from the year before, 2022. Now, 10 women are brutally murdered every day without the families getting legal justice. Criminals are now walking free without any repercussions for their actions. In America, 497 women were killed on the basis of femicides in 2021 and is further on the rise. In Afghanistan, Syria, Somalia, India, and Yemen, I tried looking it up, but there were too many femicides to count, only documented by percentage, adding to over 50% of the women's population, which might not even be accurate data since many are undocumented. India is ranked the highest, with 36 women reporting violent crimes against them every hour in a study conducted in 2016, with more recent statistics becoming convoluted and, and inaccurate due to the ever-increasing numbers of hate crimes. Worldwide, violence and cruelty against women is one of the largest problems this world faces. But now, I will be specifically discussing the rise of femicides in Mexico and Latin America this year, and the causes. Women have been protesting all over Mexico against the recent femicides that have been threatening their safety, livelihood, and overall way of life. Hundreds of thousands of women march past the presidential palace and national monuments in face of the violence they have faced in recent years. As I said before, 134% above last year. Citizens of Mexico are furious at the lack of action from Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, who is doing absolutely nothing to curb the violence against women, gang violence, or provide support to the victims and their families. In short, he is doing nothing. According to the New York Times, Andres, the president, states, and I quote, quote, there is infiltration of the feminist movement in general by conservative groups, he says, noting that it was wrong, and I quote, to use violence for political purposes. What sparked these protests were the grisly murders of Ingrid Escamilla, who was 25 years old, and Fatima Aldriquet, who was only seven years old. Escamilla was found repeatedly stabbed and skinned to death by her boyfriend, and Fatima's body found mutilated, raped, and thrown in a bag on the outskirts of Mexico City following being kidnapped by a stranger. The investigators and police in both of these cases made the family's victims wait hours to even file a report and took days to even commence an investigation. Their negligence and disinterest in helping these two poor young women, enraged women across Mexico, as their lives could have been saved with a better government and support system. The hashtag, hashtag justi justice para Fatima, meaning justice for Fatima, was tweeted and spread 179,000 times, becoming a global trend online and bringing awareness to how dangerous conditions are for women. These are the conditions that women have to face worldwide every day due to sexism and recently increased misogyny, which has been on the rise. Social media is especially dangerous, where incels, rapists, and violent sexists and misogynists are able to gain a platform and influence young male teens to view women as inferior and the enemy, simply because of rejection and the desire for free will. An example of this, which Ruhani and I will discuss in segment three, is Andrew Tate 
He is a dangerous misogynist who proudly displayed his human trafficking business and anti-women messages online, gaining a mass amount of followers, more than 4 million followers, in fact, many of them men and young boys. He sexually exploits women and even moved to Romania because of the more lax sex and rape laws for women. In short, Andrew Tate is an embodiment of the patriarchal, oppressive threat against women that exists today. Currently, he has been banned from every platform, but not until the damage was already done. Men were supporting him, cheering him on when seeing him violently beat a woman with a metal belt on national television, him blaming women for being abused and raped, and actively promoting violence and killings against women who decide to reject men, and telling men they need to assert their, quote, authority over women by any means. Not only Tate, but other male influencers have become extremely popular for their, quote, unquote, edgy or satirical takes on violence and oppressing women. I will not list any of their names, However, because I believe that these disgusting, sexist, dangerous individuals do not deserve to have their name or platform promoted. What they are doing is hate speech, which is directly correlated to the recent rise in femicides and dangerous conditions for women. These men are creating the delusion in young boys and the public's mind that women are entitled to give them something when in fact, we as women owe men nothing. Andrew Tate is an example, as he has been banned from every platform. The message that women do not owe men affection, women do not owe men validation, and women are real human beings with thoughts, hopes, and dreams, should not be ignored simply because of one measly rejection that a misogynistic man couldn't handle. In fact, this culture that has been cultivated online has translated into the real world by equating hyperviolence and entitlement with masculinity. In fact, a 14-year-old boy last month killed an innocent 13-year-old girl by stabbing and beating her simply because she turned his offer down for romance. He then proceeded to carve karma b-word into her skin as if she had to accept his offer he was a frequent user of social media and an avid fan of andrew tate this situation is the dilemma that many women are afraid of the violence and repercussions that come with denying entitled males so when discussing mexico the notion of the president that these rightfully angry women protesters are simply pushing a feminist agenda to overlook his goal is not only selfish, but downright cruel and irresponsible. According to the Center for Strategic and International Studies, quote, for decades, administrations in Mexico have largely failed to address gender-based violence and femicide. For this to change, the AMLO administration should create policies that address this issue in a serious and sustained way to provide security for all of Mexico's citizens. More coverage, attention, and policies fighting against violence towards women. 736 million women worldwide, in fact, should be there so that they can live peacefully and safely without worrying about being attacked or murdered simply because of their gender. Wow, Hannah, thank you so much for talking about this and bringing the situation to light. I mean, I feel like we don't hear enough about it on the media at all. And what's unfortunate is that there's so many different forms of gender-based violence. And do you think you could maybe educate us on that as well? Yeah, exactly. It's oftentimes not covered for simply being maybe taboo, but it is a real world issue. And it shows itself in different forms. There is physical violence, verbal violence, psychological violence, sexual violence, 
socioeconomic violence, domestic violence, or intimate relationship violence, as I, as I t- previously stated, was one of the most dangerous threats for women, and harassment and sexual harassment. These forms of violence can be simultaneous and affect millions of victims worldwide and disproportionately affect women in comparison to men because of the sheer the sheer high statistics of sexual harassment, sexual violence, and domestic violence in recent years, as it is extremely high for females. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, like, I always think about, like, what could cause these things? Like, I know there's probably, like, I don't know, like, an intimate relationship violence, sometimes you don't even see the red flags until it just appears in front of you. And it's like very hard to deal with that situation when someone you trust and someone you love just turns on you. But um, according to your your research, what are the main causes of like, you know, gender-based violence? Gender-based violence exactly is extremely complex and affected by a variety of different factors. One can be, one, which is the main factor, is cultural factors. Um, With countries with an extremist or prevalent patriarchal society dedicated to the continuous oppression, mistreatment, and violence enacted towards women is a large factor that plays a role in femicides and gender-based violence. Like I said, worldwide, in fact, this affects 734 million women across the world. Some examples of this, um, as I stated in Mexico and Latin America, one example is gang violence, um, where women are often killed as an intimidation or fear tactic, as many gang members, especially in the Mexican cartel, know that the government will not go after them because of negligence and a fear of starting a war. Well, however, this could be easily rectified by a carrot and stick policies which enact real-world consequences rather than a slap on the wrist. Many political and government figures are actually linked to the cartel, but never become prosecuted, which can be seen in the 2020 case against the ex-Mexican defense minister Salvador Cienfuegos after his case of drug trafficking and smuggling was surprisingly and strangely dropped and turned over to the Mexican government instead of being prosecuted in American court. So that is one example. Another, sorry, one second. Another factor are legal factors, where some abusers and attackers are aware of the lack of legal support for victims, such as the current situation in Mexico, and even in Russia, where domestic violence is not treated seriously in the court system. This policy can also be seen in Japan. Russia and Japan have something in common, as many rapists and even murderers are given minimum jail time, um, usually up to one, only one or two years, despite cases where they have murdered their family or they have even been cannibals. There have been cases where they have, they're even walking free today. So these, this legal protection and negligence makes these abusers more confident in preying and killing on their victims without the threat of repercussion, which is why femicides are very, very prevalent in Mexico today because of the president's sentiments. Another one is economic factors. Having a low socioeconomic level in comparison to a wealthy, high-class individual can lead to exploitation and further gender-based violence due to being not untouchable, but calm, their case will be convoluted and easier let off because of their wealth. And lastly, relating to cultural factors, there are political factors, which are similar to cultural factors. And political groups against women and feminism play a large role in the sentiment towards the female gender, encouraging more violence and mistreatment in favor of a more conservative agenda. Yeah, and I I totally agree with you, especially about like cultural factors and how you're talking about like this extremist patriarchal society and definitely can be in the government. 
But as we're going to talk about in like segment three, it's also from like the media that people are being exposed to. Like you mentioned, the the boy who killed a girl after, you know, being like very enamored by Andrew Tate. I think that's just an example of how prevalent misogynistic media is. Yeah, exactly. I feel as though many individuals who maybe turn a blind eye to online misogyny or even maybe even um, micro microaggressions for, like or misogyny against women do not realize that this negative and hatred like this negative sentiment against the female gender not only translates online but but translates in real life um similar to as if if a person was only exposed to violence or um, hatred towards a specific group they would grow up in that environment and go on to perpetuate this violence so i feel like media as you said before really needs to bring attention to this issue because i feel like many people brush it off as, oh, maybe boys being boys, or, oh, you have the right to vote, you have the right to have a job, to drive, why are you complaining? Despite these rights being the bare minimum, especially in our society. Exactly, it is the bare minimum. And if we look at it, like, you know, statistically, I'm curious to know um, which countries have the highest rate of femicides. Currently among the top 25 highest countries with um, femicides rates, approximately 50% currently are in Latin America. The largest amount as of now being located in El Salvador. But generally, based on previous statistics and um, counting femicides, which only occurred or started in 2012, actually, <laughs> which is extremely recent, which is why we don't have much data. Um, Brazil and Mexico are statistically the most um, dangerous for women because of their gender. In recent news, it was declared that India was the most dangerous for women, but this is according to only femicides. India has a whole different subsection of domestic violence, abuse, and rape that affect those statistics. Yeah, and I think people would be surprised of, you know, speaking specifically on India. Um, I worked for a nonprofit called Narika, which is specifically for South Asian women who were victims of intimate partner violence. And you would be surprised of how much the cultural mindset, despite being in America, pervades daily life here. There's been so many cases of, you know, the woman's family not even supporting her for leaving her husband, even though he's abusive and wanting to go like want her to go back to him instead. So it's just stuff like that. Like it's so ingrained in society that sometimes you don't even realize. Yeah, as a as like we're both we're both Indian women. So I feel like we have a a not inside grasp, but we have a better knowledge of the forced expectations and even forced marriages that are placed on women in India. I believe in Pakistan, India, and Middle Eastern countries, it's still commonplace and, like you said, pushes these girls into dangerous situations with literally no way out. They're isolated, they're ostracized, and they're degraded. I believe, um, I believe there was around 100,000 100, uh, forced marriages in the past two years which is an absolutely, in India alone, which is an absolutely ridiculous number, especially considering some of them are even kidnapped in order to do so. Yeah, and those are just the reported ones. So there's probably like way more than we even know. And it's just so disappointing. And the fact that, you know, if there's one thing that I learned after working at Narca, it's like it doesn't, sometimes the amount of resources you have that doesn't matter. Like even if you have like the highest, you know, amount of education or you're like even in a high socioeconomic field, if it's those like cultural mindsets kind of pushing you back, it'll still land you in that dangerous situation. And that's not to say that having resources doesn't benefit you because if you were to break away, it's a lot easier to do so, at least, you know, financially. 
But otherwise, it's really just this, like I said, ingrained thought process that's hard to dismantle. No, exactly. It is a a prevalent issue that I feel is not talked about in favor of um, other maybe worldwide news. It's It affects over, I think, as I said before, 734 million women. So it is, it's not a small issue. Um, yeah, I think at least um, 115 countries at least have passed laws on domestic violence, but there's still the prevalent sentiment towards women. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally see your point. And we'll go um, more in depth about how the media contributes to this in segment three. But unfortunately, that's it for this segment. But make sure you stay tuned for our next segment where I will be talking about diversity and literature and how a merger of two big publishing houses can limit that. And we want to hear your thoughts and we want to answer your questions. So email us at btsyateenradio at gmail.com. That is btsyateenradio at gmail.com. Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our creative community site at www.btsya.com. And you can get involved with Be The Star You Are Charity by books and t-shirts in our store and sign up for our free newsletter and make a donation to Be The Star You Are. Be the star you are Light up the flame that burns Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be The Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you Star, you are. Light up the flame that burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the Star You Are 501c3 charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Ruhani, and right now I'll be talking about a possible merger between publishing houses Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster and what the consequences of that can be. So let's get started with the proposed merger. 
For the past decade, the U.S. trade publishing business has been dominated by the big five. Simon & Schuster, also known as SNS, Penguin Random House, also known as PRH, HarperCollins, Hachette Book Group, and Macmillan Publishers. In November 2020, Paramount Global, then called Viacom CBS, SNS's holding company, announced its decision to sell SNS to PRH for $2.175 billion. In November 2021, the Department of Justice blocked this decision due to its economic consequences for authors. Now, oral arguments in the Supreme Court between PRH and the Department of Justice began on August 1st. If PRH wins, the publishing industry would shrink to the big four in late 2022. And honestly, this decision would be fiscally disastrous for authors and limit voices in literature as emerging authors will be forced to abide by the demands of a singular, powerful publishing group. Merging the two largest companies, Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House, would create a monopoly much larger than the other three, limiting competition between publishing houses. Now, limiting competition between publishing houses would greatly stunt advances for authors who depend on this competition between publishing companies to gain a competitive bidding price. Also, less competition amongst the companies means fewer bidders for books, which would decrease the author's income. And author's incomes have already been falling at rapid rates. The Authors Guild's 2018 Author Income Survey discovered a 42% decrease in author's income since 2009 and actually, um, a very famous author named Stephen King talked about this, and I would really recommend checking out his video. Um, and in this already unfavorable market, um, emerging authors will have a harder time publishing their books as their incomes need to fund costly expenses um, such as agents, marketing firms, and other promotional strategies. And the author's ability to craft their work will also be affected, which is a very important process. Um, it can literally take years to complete a book. And these bids um, that will no longer be there usually cover the cost of the writer's research expenses, such as travel costs. I know a lot of authors like to stay in a wood cabin as they write, or maybe just get a change of scenery in some other place that's not their home, it really boosts your creativity. There's also going to be a large impact from this merger, and it's really this is really crucial. As the number of publishing houses decreases, so will the number of minority authors in publishing spaces. So basically, with fewer companies, the criteria and the standard of books sought after can exclude marginalized voices. An example of this that I found very relevant is BookTok, which, if you don't know, is a viral space on the social media platform TikTok that basically centers around literature. And it's popularized so many novels. I can just name a few off the top of my head. I know Colleen Hoover is an author who's very popular. And there's like even specific corners in shops like Barnes and Nobles, Noble dedicated to these trending stories. So publishing companies are obviously very happy about this. They've been rejoicing in what has been called the reading renaissance. So Nigel Newton, the CEO of the British publishing house Bloomsbury, credited their 220% profit growth to TikTok. Penguin Random House and HarperCollins even created their own corporate accounts where they'll promote their clients. So there is absolutely no doubt that these huge publishing companies are now scouting books that can rapidly circulate on BookTok. And as noticed, noted by many content creators of color, there is a critical lack of diversity in that specific corner of the internet I can't tell you how many viral videos I've seen that have really called out the book talk community for mainly recommending books that are written by white authors about white characters. 
And honestly, these are the works that will gladly be picked up by major publishing companies. While storylines about people of color by authors of color might diminish in their already limited popularity. This merger is also coming at a very frightening age where books are being banned all over the country in school districts and libraries. According to Pan America, which is um, basically a nonprofit that defends free expression, school districts nationwide have reached a high level of book banning with over 1,400 books removed from curriculums from July 2021 to March 2022. That's absolutely insane. That's 41% of the works that had main characters of colors and 22% of them talked about race and racism. That is the books that are getting like discarded. And decreasing the number of publishing companies will only increase this issue of censorship as these inclusive works are now being dubbed as unnecessary and controversial by organizations such as Moms of Liberty. And they're very notorious because they basically advocate for parents to be directly involved in what their children study at school. So right now, assistance from publishing power, pu powerful publishing houses is so important so that these diverse stories will continue to spread. But if the numbers of companies keep dropping, so will the amount of support. Now, there are some counter arguments um, for diversity. Basically, Penguin, Random House, they've argued that they have made attempts to stand in solidarity with these authors of color. So they basically founded the Diversity and Inclusion Council in the fall of 2020. They basically plan to publish books by minorities and create a more inclusive employee population. Um, Penguin Random House has also donated to the Equal Justice Initiative, increased its donation to We Need Diverse Books, and became the inaugural sponsor of the Black Creatives Fund. But I don't think these long overdue efforts have fixed the underlying problem because data from nearly two years later shows that the company is still predominantly white with only 25% of Penguin Random House authors and 39% of Penguin Random House executives being people of color. So Amazon also plays a large part in this because Amazon has become a big thing for the book publishing industry. industry. And supporters of the merger also emphasize that the consolidation of these two companies offers them leverage over Amazon's power over book publishing. And ebook sales have increased over 16.5% last year with almost $1 billion in revenue. And this is mainly due to Kindle Direct Publishing, Amazon's self-publishing company. And a byproduct of Amazon's large audience base though is that authors are forced into selling their books on Amazon when their projects are not bid on by publishers. So basically, the merger's proponents are arguing that the larger publishing companies would overpower Amazon's unfair advantage over the book market. That's their argument. And power over Amazon would allow Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster to value the author's terms and rates when stocking their books, which would encourage financially disadvantaged writers to acquire more favorable deals. I honestly think that there's a simpler solution to both of this, both of these, and that is to restrain Amazon's influence. An organization known as the Authors Guild currently aims to propose more restrictive laws to curb Amazon's power, but Amazon's political lobbying makes the enforcement of such laws difficult to implement. And there's immense pressure from organizations like the Authors Guild to have Amazon recognize trade unions and engage in collective bargaining, two measures that will rapidly limit the company's influence. At its core, literature embodies an enlightening exchange of diverse ideas, which are necessary to bring novel voices to light. With the vast majority of the market under its control, the merged publishing monopoly would likely decimate its competition, forcing authors to cater to the same publisher standards. As I mentioned earlier, literature will pass through the same big filter, 
limiting diversity in political and cultural viewpoints, and stifling marginalized voices. Now, in my own school district, members of the Core Literature Adoption Committee are working to create a space for more diverse voices. Core novels required in English classes have remained, I'd say, relatively similar in the past years, but now, thanks to the district-wide movement, my district is actually planning to change core novels from grade seven to 12. And out of the five books nominated, five finalists were chosen per grade by the Core Literature Adoption Committee, a task force that aims to diversify the perspectives presented by these books and their authors' backgrounds. New books in the curriculum, such as I Am Malala by Malala Yousafzai, an autobiographical account of groundbreaking activism, and a novel known as The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo, a story about a Dominican girl in Harlem who uses poetry to understand society, will offer diverse storylines that might be less in demand due to their unconventional perspectives after the merger. To protect these voices, individuals should support and donate to organizations working to block the merger, including the Authors Guild. In addition, mindful consumer choices, such as exploring titles released by smaller publishers, are a step towards diversifying the current scope of literature in the publishing market. And one thing that I think readers should do is consider buying from socially committed presses like Tin House Books, a journal that voices emerging writers in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry, or the Coffee House Press, which fosters inclusivity by giving a voice to minority writers. To ensure the survival of unorthodox narratives in our classrooms, libraries, and beyond, we must make a conscious effort to protect minority and emerging authors from being stifled by an inflexible monopoly. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I knew Amazon had, I've heard Amazon had an interest over, like, over the it literature community and handling all the books, but I didn't know that they had influence over like diverse books to this extent. And you mentioned The Poet X and I Am Malala. Those, I really, really enjoyed reading those two books because um, I am they were not offered in my curriculum, but they're great reads. And on that topic of like good books um, with activism and diversity and different authors of different backgrounds. Do you have um, some book recommendations that tell unique perspectives, perspectives which need to be heard? Yes, I do. And going back to Amazon, um, what I really want to make clear is that Penguin Random House and Simon Schuster merging has been supported by many people because they say that they, if they merge, they'll have power over Amazon. But I think those three, either be whether it be Amazon or Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster, having that control over the publishing industry is wrong. And like you were just mentioning, the book recommendations that tell these unique perspectives, um, while The Poet X and I Malala, those are perfect examples. And yes, they should be taught in schools, but there's so many others. And one of them is um, a very well-written novel called Real Life by Brandon Taylor. I really enjoyed this book. I actually came across it in my school library. It's about the experiences of Wallace, a gay black student from a southern town who studies biochemistry in a predominantly white PhD program. And it touched on some serious topics like racism and just other mundane challenges of campus life that Wallace navigates such as finding yourself in your field. And another novel with like a diverse perspective that I can think of is Beloved by Toni Morrison. And this one is a classic. And it's honestly such a shame they don't teach this in schools at all. Like some schools might, mine doesn't, but it's definitely not as popular as like The Great Gatsby. And Beloved is one of my favorite books of all time. It's incredibly heartbreaking. It basically um, tells the experience of a former enslaved woman who escaped and the PTSD she suffers is so intense. And genuinely, I think these are the type of point of views we need to be hearing because I feel like there's been a rise by like these groups like Moms of Liberty to kind of sugarcoat American history, which is 
the worst way to tackle the past. I definitely agree. Uh, my school system and the TUSD system, it's they're trying to include diversity. I remember many of the books I had read in freshman and sophomore year were made by white cis individuals. But in junior year, I had a teacher. We went into Native American literature, African-American literature, um, tackling a whole bunch of different topics. And one thing I, I vividly remember is our freshman year, many of the literature was directed towards rape awareness. We read, and racism too. We read uh, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings uh, by Maya Angelou, one of my personal favorites, and Speak, which tackles both of those topics. And um, some parents did not like this. They wanted, they wanted only the lighthearted, comedic, white-oriented literature. So they tried complaining. Of course, it didn't go through because it's necessary for a curriculum. Um, but I just was curious, what are some examples of books that have been banned from school districts? There are so many. It's literally insane of how far it's gone. There's always been like a stigma I feel against book banning that's kind of diminished. Like um, there's that one book, I think it's called, what's it called? It's where they like literally burn the books. It's a dystopian novel. Um, oh, uh, 19... No. 1984 is one of them. 1984. Yeah. Yes, but there's also one more, but I think I I don't remember what it was called, but we read it my freshman year and that book was also banned, which is ironic. I'll get back to you on that one. And some examples of books that have been banned, um let's see. Well, there's actually To Kill a Mockingbird, which is I don't even understand why anyone would think to ban this one. It's definitely one of the most fundamental pieces of American literature. Like, there's some books that come close, but To Kill a Mockingbird is definitely up there in its influence. And, God, I, I can't believe they would even consider that. I understand, like you were saying, like, these heavy topics like rape and, you know, racism can be triggering. And I completely understand that. But for a well-rounded and well-educated society, we need to understand these topics to prevent it from happening and to become better people. And another book that's also pretty heavy that people want to ban is The Color Purple by Alice Walker, which in my opinion is one of the most important pieces of American literature. Um, it talks about gender equality and racial discrimination. It also um, offers LGBTQIA plus um, representation. And some school districts like Tennessee, I've noticed, just focus on more of like contemporary literature that talks about, you know, LGBTQIA plus themes. You know, there's like children's books that have been banned that, you know, contain like an example of two moms or two dads. Like they don't want their children exposed to that content. That, that's ridiculous. We, I also read To Kill a Mockingbird my freshman year. I think I think it is a ridiculous notion to get rid of all of this representation, like black representation, racial representation, um, LGBTQIA plus representation, because it it literally limits literature to how it was in the early 1900s. And the end this could make it harder for children to understand themselves. Like I cannot imagine, what if a child who is struggling with their sexuality sees all of these books getting banned? How will they figure it out? I feel like limiting literature will eventually lead to a lack of education, which we know heavily contributes to bigotry, misogyny, and all of the other issues that may I discussed in segment two and we're about to discuss in segment three. These... This diversity of literature is important because it provides multiple perspectives. So I I could not I cannot fathom why someone would want not want to have their kid ta tackle racism and homophobia and z maybe even xenophobia, which it because it's it's real world issues. You nothing our society is sy systemically racist and there are 
plenty of marginalized communities. So that's, I don't understand why parents would want to shield their children from that because they'll be exposed to it eventually. And yeah, I also heard that um, uh, some places, um, Jack's Jack London's Call of the Wild book is banned. And even uh, the diary of Anne Frank is banned in some places, oh which, which is absolutely insane. What are your thoughts on that? That is absolutely terrible. And, you know, Germany handles it, like handles teaching the Holocaust really well. I feel like they don't sugarcoat it at all, which is so, so different from America. I feel like we, like I mentioned, like by banning these books, that offer these various perspectives, we're sugarcoating history. And Germany, I feel, is an example of a country that doesn't engage in that. Like, I think they tell it how it is. And even though it's like such a shame and like, you know, their history, they still express that information. And honestly, like, I wish America could take some notes. I know, exactly. Um, Yeah, that's an issue that really needs to be addressed. And literature, should be diversified and I think your perspective on merging publishing companies and the influence of um, industrial corporations like similar to sort of like vertical integration with materials but instead of uh, steel and oil it's literature is extremely important. Unfortunately everyone that's uh, we're out of time today and that will be the ad- end of our discussion for today. But make sure you watch out for future shows. Um, And I hope you enjoyed our show today. Uh, We are out of time. And as always, we express our gratitude to Starstar Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our audio engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world. And a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. And remember everyone, equality and diversity lies within you. We need to promote a more inclusive and forward-thinking society through the power of education and awareness. Remember, always speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself go.